We're going to finish up uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 tonight. So, you can turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And let me open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy each day. Lord, uh, thank you for the fellowship we share as the body of Christ, that we can gather around your word and come and be enlightened by it and be taught and edified and built up in our faith. And Lord, we pray tonight that you would just um, remind us that all the things we see around us, all the what we call injustice in this world will one day be taken care of by you. And that's where we can rest and be assured of that. And so, Lord, as we look at this passage tonight, I just pray that you would apply it to our hearts and our minds. Pray for those who couldn't uh, be here tonight. Pray for my wife, and because she's not feeling well, and also uh, just others. Thank you for bringing Jenna safely back from her trip and having uh, Emmanuel and Shelley here as well. And just pray that you'd just bless our time tonight as the body of Christ. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, last week we began Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And we talked about uh, to everything a season turn, 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 turn. That was a song by the birds. But um, tonight we're going to pick up with verse 16. But just to remind you, if um, you didn't, you weren't here last week, we looked at basically five points. We said <clears throat> in verses 1 through 8, he talks about the idea that we have to acknowledge that God has a reason or a season for everything that happens. Good, bad, indifferent, ugly, whatever. He, we have to acknowledge that, that he is um, behind it. There's, there's some form of reason or purpose for it. Also, the second thing we said, we have to accept the fact that God has control and purpose, and that's in verses 9 to 11. And we talked about that in depth as well. And also the idea that we have to appreciate the time that God has given us here on earth. Because it's, the Bible says, a mere vapor. It's gone. Um, The moment that we claim right now, in two seconds, it's gone. (laughs) You can't reclaim it. And so we have to appreciate the time that God has given us. And also you have to apply the facts, as we saw in the text last week, to our attitudes about God. How, How does that affect our attitude about who God is? And then also... We said there's some answer we'll have to give for how we use our own time. And um, tonight we want to look at verses 16 to 22. And I just entitled this, Judgment is Coming. And uh, so follow along in your Bibles as I read this for us. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 16 to 22. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice... Even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. 
For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward, and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? So as you read that text, there's probably a lot of questions that pop into your mind. There's some verses there that bring up <coughs> some pretty interesting subjects. Um, I've actually heard evolutionists quote part of this context, of this text, to argue for the fact of evolution. See, the Bible even says that man is simply an animal. Uh, well, that's not obviously what the Bible's saying, and we're going to look at that in a couple minutes. <coughs> but they try to use this text as proof that man is just another animal, but that's not what this passage teaches in its, in its context, at least, when you understand what he's saying. Um, and we'll look at that in a couple minutes. But there's kind of an outline here that he gives us, and I think you have that there, yeah, in your outline. Um, you look at verse 16, uh, he says, I saw under the sun, and then in verse 17, he says, I said in my heart, and then once again in verse 18, he says that again, I said in my heart, and then in verse 22, he kind of wraps it up, and he says, I, I saw or I perceived is the idea. And so that's kind of a loose outline for us. But let's start with verse 16, where he says, I saw in my heart. Well, what did he see? He saw the problem that existed. Solomon was looking at everything under the sun. And he says, moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. Remember, he just finished making the point from last week that whatever we, we do with our lives, God will require some form of accountability. In other words, we're all given a, a lot of period of time and we're going to be held accountable how we use it. And so the next statement here in verse 16, he says, I saw under the sun that wickedness or iniquity was everywhere. And he's trying to He's trying to justify the idea that, wait, God, you're in control. You're a righteous God. Why are you allowing this to happen? Everywhere I look is injustice. Everywhere I look is wickedness. And you know what? Frankly, you're not doing anything about it. That's how he feels. And so the judgment and the righteousness he knew that God possessed as part of his character was simply not evident in the affairs of man. And so he's scratching his head thinking, how can you let this happen? How is this happening? He didn't feel that he could find any justice on the face of the earth. He didn't feel that he could find any righteousness on the face of the earth. Uh, he found exactly the opposite. And it was frustrating. Do you ever feel like that? <laughs> do you ever watch the news and go, what in the world are they doing? Why would they do that? 
Uh, He saw people getting away with anything they wanted to do. Um, And he wondered, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Did you ever scratch your head and wonder why it seems like the wicked prosper? I mean, they'll make these vile songs they write or vile movies, and yet they're the ones living in the castle on top of the hill with a billion dollars in the bank. And you go, wait a minute, God, this doesn't seem right. And that's what Solomon was looking at. He was wondering where the judgment of God was. Because clearly, if it was up to Solomon, they'd all be judged because they were all doing unrighteous acts. Um, And when you stop and you think about that, it really affects the way we as believers um, live our lives. There's some Christians that honestly believe that God will not judge them ever. Um, In other words, you can do whatever you want and get away with it. Because we're living in the day of age of grace and all of our sins are forgiven. So just go have a blast. Do whatever you want. Because in the end, you know you're going to heaven because Jesus forgave you of all, all those things you're going to do. So it just doesn't matter. You can get away with whatever you want. There's Christians that actually believe that. The Bible teaches something drastically different. That's what we're going to look at tonight. Um, Outside of maybe occasionally, sometimes people get caught up in the legal system. Uh, Maybe they're, they're encountered with the law. And when you get caught doing something by the law, you have a, a tinge of conviction and you realize, well, there are some consequences here. Um, but even that, when you look at the system of law we have today, you, you just shake your head and you go, what are these people thinking? They're letting people out of prison who have copped out to vicious crimes. They're just letting them walk free. Or, you know, you can go down that path a million times. And, you know, we all hear stories of the DUI driver who you know, well, this is his fifth time being arrested for DUI and his third person he killed. It's like, how is this guy out driving? What is wrong with the system? And there's no, you don't feel like there's any justice anywhere. Um, and maybe it's so messed up that it, it's hard pressed seeing that. I was watching the news tonight and one commentator was talking about all the things that have happened this the past several years as far as in the political world. And they're like, when are you people going to do something about this? When's, you know, somebody's head going to be on the platter? That's really what they were saying. And we all feel that way. Um, And David, in the Old Testament, saw the same thing as well. Uh, Look over at at Psalm 37. Psalm 37. Psalm 37, and and look at verse um, 7. He had the same questions as Solomon did, and really the same questions we have today about seeing justice. Psalm 37, verse 7, and we'll be here in this, the Psalm 37 for a few moments here, but he says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And then he says this, Fret not yourself over one who prospers in his way. And the idea is, it's not the way of righteousness. He says, Don't fret over the man who carries out evil devices. So it was a real, he had a real sense of feeling in his own life about this. 
And his answer was, you know what? You just need to be still before the Lord, and you need to wait patiently for him. Because he will carry out his judgment in his time and in his way. I mean, I get it. When someone knifes you in the back at work and, you know, for the promotion and you don't get it and they do and you're thinking, wow, where's the justice in this? Um, or maybe somebody cheats you out of something or somebody falsely accuses you of something, you know, and you, you just throw your hands up and you're like, God, when are you going to get these people? What is going on here? Why is this happening to me? We, we, we ask that question a lot. Why me, Lord? And I think the Lord in heaven, probably sometimes chuckles and says, why not? <laughs> why not you? Uh, you know, because we have a sense of self-entitlement. We think that we don't deserve this. Well, trust me, you don't want what you deserve, <laughs> nor do I, because we all deserve hell. And it's only by his grace we're spared from that. So here is David. Remember, he's running away from Saul out in the wilderness. We've gone through all that before in our studies and he reminds himself here he's trying to do the right thing he's being chased by this maniac and he reminds himself he has to remind himself that that god is the one who's going to carry out this vengeance not him he's going to deal with his enemies in his time and in his way remember even when david was in the cave him and his men were in the cave and Saul and his guys came in there, and they didn't know David was there, and they, they went to sleep, and David went up, and, you know, they're all, just kill him. What are you doing? He said, nah, I'm just going to cut a corner of his robe off. Remember that? And then what did he do? After Saul got up in the morning, and he left the cave, and he's probably down in the valley there, what's David do? He goes out on the rock, and he goes, hey, look what I got. <laughs> I could have killed you last night. And even that, he felt conviction from the Lord. Like, you don't need to do that. That's kind of showboating. That's, that's a wrong attitude. I'll take care of Saul. You just, you just focus your life on me. And he felt conviction about that. See, that's what Solomon's saying here in verse 16. He's saying, I don't see any justice at all. I just see wickedness, and I don't see, God, you're really doing anything about this. Psalm 37, look at verses 12 to 15. It says, the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees what? That his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and the needy to slay those whose way is upright. Verse 15. Their swords shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. In other words, yeah, maybe they're being taken advantage of these poor and needy people right now, but don't worry. God's got their back. In the end, these people are going to pay for it. Or verse 21, down a little bit further. Psalm 37, he says, The wicked borrows, but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. He's like, okay, why are these righteous people being attacked? And the wicked seem to be prospering. Or verse 32, 37, 32, he says, The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. See, David saw all this. Solomon saw all this. And if you turn over to uh, Psalm uh, 73, Psalm 73, verses 1 through 9. Psalm 73. 
The psalmist writes here, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the um, arrogant when I saw the prosperity, there it is, of the wicked. For they have no pains until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. (laughs) They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. I love this verse. Their eyes swell out through fatness. And they just have more than enough. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. Verse 9, they set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues strut, struts through the earth. And David says, where's the justice in this? The psalmist says, where's the justice in this? Or Psalm 82, verses 1 to 8. A couple psalms over. Psalm 82, verses 1 to 8. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the, of the gods, he holds judgments. It's interesting, this translation here, in the midst of the gods, he holds judgments. That word gods is, is plural, Elohim. Um, the reason it it's, doesn't mean that there's more than one God. It's really referring to the judges who are here on earth. Because they're rulers over, they're making judgments over everybody. So he calls them gods, because that's what society looks to him as. It's kind of like looking at the Supreme Court. Some people consider them gods. All right, that's how he's referring that. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, remember in John chapter 10, Jesus quotes this psalm. He quotes it and he, he says basically, he says the Jews picked up some stones to stone Jesus. Jesus answered them, I've shown you, in verse 31, many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone them? In other words, you want to stone me? What are you going to stone me for? And in verse 33, the Jews answered, it says, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. And here's how Jesus answered in verse 34. Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? He's referring to this psalm. And if he called them gods, he's speaking of the judges, to whom the word of God came and scriptures cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blasphemy because I said I am the Son of God? And he goes on, he says, I'm doing the works of my Father. You know, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm doing the works of my Father. And so, you know, you, you have to be reminded there in, in Psalm 82, Jesus even refers to this. Verse 2 of Psalm, 80, uh, Psalm 82, he says, how long will you judge unjustly? See, that's where it's referring, obviously, to judges. And show partiality to the wicked. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Do you ever stop and think about that? All of the foundations of the earth are shaken. In other words, we think, oh, we got a good society with a firm foundation no we don't no we don't i mean we see that more now in society than we ever have 
There's turmoil all around us. People rioting, doing all this crazy stuff. Verse 6, he says, I said, you are God, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, the true God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. What's the psalmist saying? God, when are you going to straighten this out? When are you going to make this right? And God's answer through them was what? Just rest in the Lord and be patient. Rest in the Lord and be patient. Because the day of judgment, the day of accountability is on its way. It's coming. Even though it appears that the victims are not vindicated, God's justice, God's judgment, one day will come. It will fall. So that's the problem that he looked at in verse 16. Back to Psalm, or back to Ecclesiastes 3. Secondly, he has some principles that he understands as a result of this. And these are the statements where he says, I said in my heart. There's two of them here. Um, He observed the problem that instead of justice, all he saw was trouble, wickedness, unrighteousness. And he resolved two principles in his heart. The first one, he, he understood that we are accountable before God. Verse 17. He says, I said in my heart, verse 17, God will judge the righteous and the wicked for, look at this, there is a time for every matter and for every work. What's he saying? He, he believes that there is a time for everything. And because of that, the believer's trust can be in the Lord because God is working all this out. Even though when it seems the, the wheels are falling off the cart and things are coming unraveled, God is in control of this. He's in absolute control. And he will judge the righteous and the wicked. Some people say, well, wait, wait, don't you just mean the wicked? He's not going to judge the... No, we're going to see. He will judge the righteous and the wicked. There's a time for judgment. It's coming. The righteous and the wicked. The believer and the unbeliever. Why? Because God is a God of justice. You might say, well, wait a minute. Are you saying that believers are going to be judged for their sins? Those who put their faith, their trust in Christ, are they going to be judged for their sins? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm not. But their sins are still judged. How are they judged? He doesn't overlook it just because you trust in Jesus. God doesn't just turn his, a blind eye and say, okay, well, I don't even know, want to know what you did. <laughs> those, those sins that we bear still have to be dealt with. Well, how are they dealt with? God judged our sin where? On the cross, through Christ. That's why we put our faith, our trust in Christ. And as God judged Christ on our behalf for our sins, he just didn't turn a blind eye to our sins. They were actually judged. He's not going to judge us, though, because Christ already bore our judgment. But there's a time coming when the Lord will ask us even as believers, to what? To give an account for what we've done in our lives. There's going to come a time when he's going to say, I gave you this much, what did you do with it? Uh, That's different from the judgment of unbelievers, clearly. I mean, you can use the word evaluated, you can use the word assessed, whatever. It doesn't matter. He's still making some form of judgment over our lives. It doesn't involve heaven and hell for the Christians, 
Um, for unbelievers, it involves punishment. For believers, it involves what? Reward. Right? We will, we will reap a reward one day. Uh, and there's, you know, basically a thousand years difference in between those two judgments. Um, and so the truth of what Solomon is saying here is that everybody feels this in their heart. Everybody feels, senses this idea of injustice. And he's saying, don't get ticked off, don't get upset, just, you know, don't run off and take revenge on anything by yourself, that's not going to help. Instead, what? Just rest in the Lord, wait patiently for Him, and God will judge all the earth. And He will do it in a right way. Um, In Genesis chapter 18, verse 25, it says, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked, far be it from you, shall not the judge of the earth do what is just. Of course he will. Or Proverbs 24, 12, If you say, Behold, we did not know this, does not he weigh the heart? Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay a man according to his work? Or, obviously, the, t- the text in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15, we were very familiar with this. I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated, uh, seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up, their de- up, up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, is the word once again, each one of them according to what they had done. Then Hades, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found in the, written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Ultimate judgment. In other words, God's going to take care of all these things. He's going to take care of all these injustices in our lives. Whether it's between a husband and a wife, sometimes there's injustices there. Let God deal with it. Maybe there's an injustice between parent and child. Let God deal with it. Maybe there's an injustice between an employer and an employee. Let God deal with it. You just do what is right. And you rest and you wait patiently. Or in the New Testament, uh, fifth chapter of John, John chapter 5, verses 24 to 29. um, Jesus says this, truly, truly, in verse 24, John 5, 24, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, in other words, he's emphasizing this, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to what? To execute judgment, it says, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all of the 
when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to what? The resurrection of judgment. You don't just die and go away. Or in Acts chapter 17, verses 30 to 31, it says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. In other words, now you've got enough information. <laughs> you've heard from Christ himself. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Speaking of Christ. Romans 14, verses 10 to 12. Same thing. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Paul asks. Or you, why do you despise your brother? He asks a simple question. He says, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Doesn't say just unbelievers. Believers. Verse 11. For as it is written, as I live, says the Lord Every knee shall bow to me. A lot of times, and every tongue will confess to God. We, we think, and we apply that to who? We apply that to unbelievers in our evangelism. You know, one day you're going to bow. Well, you know what? Even believers are going to bow. They're going to confess. I mean, you say, well, yeah, obviously. But I'm just saying, that's the context here. It says every knee. It doesn't just say the, the unrighteous. It says every knee will do this. And you say, well, I thought I did that when I came to Christ. When I became a Christian, you know, and... I confess Jesus is Lord and Savior. Isn't that when this happened? Well, look at the next verse. It says, Every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12. So then each of us has given account. Does it say that? No, it says what? Will. It's future. Will give an account of himself to God. So we're all faced with this impending time that's going to come, and we're going to have to... uh, stand before God and be held accountable. Now, for Christians, obviously, it's not a a form of punishment that we will receive. It's always a form of reward. And that's a blessing. But the Bible even teaches that in this life, there may be judgment. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31 and 32 Paul writes this, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. And that's, he's speaking present tense in this life. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. I mean, think about it. If, if God was not going to judge and assess the lives of believers, you'd have to throw out half the parables that Jesus taught. <laughs> because in a lot of the parables, he had that Mentality, Matthew 25, 23. It says, his master said to him, well done what? Good and faithful servant. What's he doing? He's passing judgment. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He's evaluating what God has given to us to use. We've all been given an intellect. We've all been given resources. We've all been given Physical life. Physical breath. And what this is pointing out is what are we doing with it? Are we wasting it away? 
Because, well, God wouldn't judge us for that. Well, yeah, he will. We will be held accountable. He's going to evaluate you. Um, he would have to evaluate you if he's going to be God. And like I said, for those in Christ, it's not a heaven or hell issue because we're guaranteed of heaven. But we are going to be evaluated. We are going to be assessed by what we have done for Christ in this life. And a lot of Christians just have a problem with that. They think, well, that's just scaring people. That's, that's acting like God's up in heaven beating you over the head with a big bat. <laughs> no. You know, that, that creates a fear like you're cowering in the corner kind of a, of a God. No, it doesn't at all. Because when he evaluates believers, it's always in reference to what? Not punishment, but what? Rewards. It's constantly talked about joy and blessing and reward that we will, will get based on our faithfulness to him in this life. And he even allows us to kind of plan for that reward. He says, hey, you're only here for a short time. And what's he say? He says, figure out where your heart is, because that's where your what, treasure's going to be. You know, the treasure here on earth is what? It's going to burn up. It's not going to be here. You're not going to take it with you. When you die, that's it. I don't care how many billions of dollars you have in the bank. You're not taking one little cent with you to heaven. So he's saying, you know, think about that. Um, don't rob yourself of that joy that you can have even on this side of glory, knowing that you're investing with your time, your talent, your treasure in the work of God. And that should be a joyous thing. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, For we must all appear, 2 Corinthians 5.10, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or what? Evil. You kind of just want to cross out that evil part. You know, I don't want to talk about that. Well, that's what it says. And so we can leave matters with him as we go through this life, knowing that God is going to deal with these things in the end. And even when we face injustices in our life and we, we, we have a sense that, boy, life is just not fair, remember, who's in charge here? God's in charge. This will all be meted out in the end. That should really affect the way we live radically from day to day when we get the bad news, when we hear this stuff. Hey, wait a minute, God's in control. Doesn't seem fair that this is happening to me right now, but you know what it is? And Okay, God, help me through this. It affects the way that you live. So he understood the accountability. The second thing there is that he understood the advantages of men when faced with death. Look at verses 18 to 21. He says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, or that's verse 16, verse 18, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. 
For what happens to the children of men and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beasts. All is vanity. All go to the same place. All are from the dust and to the dust return. Why does he bring up death here? He brings up death because he wants to show us, first of all, that death is inevitable. We're all going to face it, pending the Lord's return. And all these little games we play down here on earth are really meaningless in the face of death. Absolutely meaningless. And you can see this in people's lives when they're faced with death. You know, the week before, they're worried about this, and they're worried about that, and they're worried about this, the job, or whatever, and then they get the prognosis, they're going to die. And they don't even care about anything else. They're focused on that one piece of information that was given to them. You're going to die. You have this much time left. And verse 18 speaks to the purpose of God here. He says he tests them. Literally, it means he purifies them. He uses this to cleanse us. The idea that this death is waiting for us helps us, it should help us, to to want to purify and and to live a life that is honoring to the Lord. This is not teaching that animals and humans are alike. It's not teaching evolution. It's basically saying the only way that humans and animals are alike, one way. They're both going to (laughs) die. That's it. I mean, I know we like our pets and we look at our pets and we think highly of them. But they're animals. They're not humans. All right? I mean, I'm... It, it, it's, i got to be careful here, but sometimes it, it's, it's crazy because, I mean, people will spend... I've heard of some people spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on their little furry cat because it has cancer and so they're going through chemo and they're going through radiation... And what happens eventually? The little furry cat dies. I mean, maybe it's a good use of resources. I don't know. But I just wonder sometimes. You know, we, we live in a society where if you go out and you kick a dog, you'll go to jail. But you can kill an unborn baby, and it's not a problem. I mean, we, we got some major issues today. And so what, what Solomon is saying here is, look, animals and man are the same in one sense. They're, all, they're both going to die. They're both going to die. That's why he explains it the way he does there. He says, well, what happens to the children of man? What happens to the beasts? It's all the same. They're going to die. Verse 19, he basically tells us here, that he has no advantage over the beasts in regard to death, that is. It's not saying that we're equivalent as far as our intellect, as far as everything else. We're, we're at a whole different level than animals. But the one thing we do know is that humans and animals die alike. They all die. And they all go to the same place. It says that in verses 20 and 21. Physically, we all go back to dust. The verses listed there prove that out. You hear that at a funeral. Dust you came, dust you returned. You know. 
And that's what happens. You take the body, either you burn it up, or you lay it in the ground, whichever your choice. And if it's in the ground, after a while, what happens? Same thing. It turns to dust. It decomposes. And guess what? When you bury the little dog in the backyard or wherever you bury the dog, guess what? The same thing happens to that little dog. It decomposes. Goes back to dust. See, he's not here in verse 20. He's not expressing, he says, all are from dust and to dust they return. And then in verse 21 he says, who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. He's not being ambivalent here about the, the idea of, well, I don't know where these people go. I don't know what, what happens. He's not saying that. He's, he's clearly saying, because there's a, a definitive article here in the original language, the spirit of man goes upward. The spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. He's not, he's not saying that he's, he's uncertain about these things. He's saying, no, there's, there's life after death for the man. It's just, you know, we don't understand all how all this works, clearly. But physically, we all go to the same place. And that's there in verse 21. He's talking about not the physical aspect, but the spiritual. After his body goes down to the dust, man is quite different from animals. Because we're all going to face his or her accountability before God one day. Um, if you look at Psalm 16, Psalm 16, verse 8 to 11. Psalm 16. Verses 8 to 11, it says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Our bodies just aren't abandoned to the grave. Um, even over in uh, uh, the, the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews twelve nine. He says, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall, uh, shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? All right, we don't just, we're not just annihilated. Down in verse 22 and 23 of that same chapter, uh, Hebrews 12, he says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in, in the festal gathering 
uh, verse 23, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Um, so we will one day as believers dwell with God in heaven. Unbelievers, unfortunately, get to dwell in hell for all eternity. Um, under the wrath of God. So he clearly saw that. And then verse 22 here, back to Ecclesiastes, verse 22 basically points out what he accepts here, what he perceives. He says, So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work. Why is that? Because it's something that God has gifted to you. It's something that God allows you to do here on this earth for the short time you're here. It says there's nothing better than we should have that joy of God in our heart, not bitterness. Why do I have to work? Why do I have to do this? Why? No, not disappointment, not fear. We should know that God has promised wonderful things for us in Christ. And we can enjoy what we're doing as we seek to obey Him, because we're doing it for His glory, not our own. And He's going to reward us accordingly. So it's not like we're just down here wringing our hands, just working, working, working for spiritual nonsense. No, God says, I see everything you do. I see the things you do in public. I see the things you do in private. I see it all, because I know everything. And one day you will be rewarded. He's going to reward believers for all that we have done. That should give us some joy on this side of glory. And yet, just the opposite happens. I talk to so many Christians, well, I don't know why I have to do this. I don't know. You know, gee, I've oh, got to do this again this week. Nobody volunteers. I'm and it's like, man, I just want to say, go home. Don't do it, if that's your attitude. I mean, what are you serving for if you're serving with that kind of an attitude? If it's not a joyful attitude. I mean, we should be rolling our sleeves up going, man, what a glorious thing it is to be part of the church, to be part of the body of Christ, but then also that God would include us in the work of ministry. That he would even see us just a little bit qualified to help him carry out his purpose here on earth. It blows my mind. And yet so many times we complain about it. And God says that's not the way it should be. You should have joy in your heart. When you're serving the Lord. You know, and if it was all for naught, I could see. But Jesus says, when you do that, what are you doing? You're laying up treasure. Where? In heaven. You're not filling your IRA that's going to one day still be here when you're gone, when you die. These are things that you can actually work on that will lay up treasure in heaven that will await you when you get there. You can kind of Send it ahead, you might say. What a glorious thing that is. And, and to work at that with the joy of the Lord. I mean, that's really our hope, is it not? In Christ. And that's why we should have this kind of response. Because he poses a question there at the end. He says, who can 
Who can bring him to see what will happen after him? In other words, do you know the future? In reality, do you know what's going to happen tomorrow? You might be sitting here, well, yeah, you know, I got to get up at six and go to work. Well, that may be your plan, but is that going to happen? I don't think any of us would know that question. Only God would know that question. You could die tonight in your sleep, for that matter. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, you don't know. In reality, we don't know what tomorrow will bring us. Only God knows what holds the future. And that's why he says, while you're breathing, while you're here, while this moment is here, man, use it for his glory. Because when you do that, what are you doing? You're, you're putting reward in heaven. You're putting future in heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32. 1 Corinthians verse, chapter 15, verse 32. He says this, What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, if the dead are not raised? This is Paul asking this question. If we're not raised from the dead one day, what's the use? He says, let us eat and drink for tomorrow what? We die. Tomorrow we die. I mean, we look at that as a negative thing. But really, that's how we're to live. (laughs) We're to live each moment to the fullest for the glory of God. Not in a selfish way but in a, in a way that honors him. I mean, do you realize that this second is gone? It's gone. You can't go back in time and recapture it. These 20 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever we've been here, they're gone. You can't go back and redo it. You can't put it back into the bottle. It doesn't work that way. And so he says, listen, when, you, when you're living your Christian life here on earth, doesn't matter whether it's at work, at church, leisure, whatever, do it for his glory. Do it. Do everything for his glory. It's such an, an important principle that really underlies this whole text that we're looking at in Ecclesiastes. And there's one other verse here I wanted to read for us out of uh, Isaiah um, Isaiah 38 yeah 38 18 this kind of puts things in perspective it says for shield does not thank you (laughs) death does not praise you those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness it's just basically saying, you know what? Once you die, that's it. It's the, it's the end of the story. As far as our time here on earth. You can't come back and relive a moment that's gone. Only God knows what the future holds. Nobody can know that. Matter of fact, Deuteronomy 29.29 says, the secret things belong to who? To the Lord, not to us. There's a lot of things we don't understand. But we do know the Lord knows the way of righteousness. In Job 23.10, he 
he says, but he knows the way I take. He knows what your plans are for tomorrow. And he knows whether those plans will be carried out or not. Because he knows everything. See, and unless, time, unless we take time to really realize that he holds everything in his hand, God has it all right there. And that ultimately it will, what will happen rests beyond our ability. It, it, it rests beyond our intellect, beyond our skill, ability to change it or whatever. I mean, we can kill ourselves worrying from day to day to day. And God says, stop it. I mean, Paul tells us that in Philippians, right? Don't worry. Okay, what is that going to get you? It's not going to get you anything. But once you learn to trust in his perfect purpose, then you can stop and enjoy the blessings that he's given to you each and every day. I mean, so many times we get caught up with worrying about things we have no control over that we miss all the, the blessings that God has given to us. So when you're faced with injustice, when you're faced with people that are taking advantage of everyone, don't, don't get vengeful. Don't, don't even get frustrated about it. Because you can't control somebody's heart. You just put your hands up and go, okay, God, they're yours. I'm just going to pray for that individual. Pray that you, you reach them. Pray that you change their heart. And Lord, I don't know why you have these things happening to me at this point in time, but you do, and help me wrap my arms around them and walk with you through these, these trials, these tribulations. Because obviously you have a purpose for them. You wouldn't allow things to happen to me for no purpose. You're not the kind of God that sits up in heaven and says, yeah, I'm going to mess with Steve this week. Well, watch this. That's not the kind of God we have. He, he loves us. He loves us so much he gave his only son to die on that cruel cross. And we should definitely be willing, because he gave up his life for ours, we should be willing to live our lives one day at a time for his, for his glory. Let me close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. I pray that this would be encouragement to us as believers. I know that here on this earth, it seems like everything is upside down. That right is wrong and wrong is right and Lord, it, it gets frustrating, to be honest with you. And sometimes we do ask the question, why aren't you doing something about this? But we know, Lord, that in your time you will. And we're instructed to rest and to wait patiently for your hand to work. And Father, we do pray that each day, as each moment passes, as each hour passes, as each day passes, that we would be able to evaluate and judge our own lives to say, are we, are we really using what you have given to us, the abilities, the intellect, the resources, are we really using them for your glory to lay up treasure in heaven? Or are we just squandering what you've given to us? Because we are going to be held accountable. And Lord, we want one day to hear that those words from your lips, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy. And Lord, we, we look forward to that day. And Father, we just pray as we leave this place tonight that you'd watch over us, care for us the rest of the week. Lord, we pray for um, Jans and his family. I know that he's 
looking at a job change and all that is up in the air. And Lord, we just pray that you would uh, surround them with your grace, your love, your mercy. And Lord, I pray that you would give him wisdom as to make the right decisions at the right time. And Lord, we know that it's not a question whether you'll provide, you will, you always do, but how and when can be a little unnerving when you have a family. And so we pray for his family that you would uh, remind them that you're, you're in control of this and that you will um, see them through this time as well. And for others, Lord, who may be dealing with different things, Lord, you know what they are. And Lord, I just pray that our perfect trust, our trust would be in, in your perfect love for us and your care for us. And so, Father, I pray you dismiss us tonight with your blessing. We thank you, and, and we do praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.